Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week we speak with author Fatima Farhin Mirza on her new Valentino collaboration, plus an exhibition celebrating 500 years of news in the UK. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show talking to Fatima Farhin Mirza. The Californian writer, now based in London, wrote her debut novel, A Place for Us, to great success, making it an instant New York Times bestseller, and is now being translated into seven languages. Fatima took part in Valentino, The Narratives too where my zone Valentino delves into the literary world for words-only advertising campaign. Creative director Pierpaolo Piccioli invited 17 authors, from Andrea Siman to Leila Slimani and, of course, Fatima, which I had the pleasure to speak with in studio. And the theme for their text was Love in All Its Forms. Here is Fatima with more. I was a part of the first one last year, which was really exciting, a little bit different than the one this year. Last year, they asked us to include the word Valentino in the text, which was really fun kind of constraint to figure out how the text can arrive. And I think that one was inspired by The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, because there's this one moment where a character comes out wearing Valentino. And so I think that was the original inspiration for that campaign. And so then this year, they took away that kind of constraint. So writers could write anything of any length, as long as it was around love. Which is a beautiful theme and kind of universal. So tell us, what do you think about this type of, you know, collaborations between a fashion brand and a writer? Because it's, it's, it's quite a new thing. I think it's quite interesting uh, to advertise via text from mm-hmm. a brand that is very known for its imagery as well. Yeah, I, I loved it. I loved the opportunity to step in as a writer and collaborate with Valentino. I feel like at the end of the day, whether it's fashion or whether it's writing, both are like artistic pursuits that are doing very similar things, you know? What I mean by that is both are, you know, the person's attempt to tell a story, to kind of convey their identity, their personality, and like it always also comes down to personal style, like whether it's a writer's personal style or a brand's brand's look that you can just kind of see it and know, oh, that's Valentino or whatever. It's kind of this expression of the self and like creation of the self and of story. And so I thought that was kind of fun to to have that opportunity to collaborate and merge and see what can come about. Before we talk about your text in, in particular, I mean, other 16 writers besides you as well have been invited to do this. Were you, did you know the work of the other writers? Were you a fan, perhaps, of some of yeah, them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the most exciting parts when you realize whose company you're in. Last year, I, I had just finished reading Luster by Raven Leilani. Um, she was invited to be in it. Ocean Vuong, who I also love. So many writers. And then this year you know, Andrew Sean Greer, or even seeing, like, I'm, my mind is blanking all of a sudden, but it was, it, it's always like an exciting thing to see writers that you really like, love and respect, Michael Cunningham, and, you know, and feeling like, oh, wow, we're all like in this, in this project together. And reading them like one after another is so amazing to see how do these writers take on that topic of love. And different styles as well, right? I mean, and talking about style, uh, you know, I actually have, uh, 
you know, your collaboration in front of me and there's one in front of you. Would you mind actually reading it for us? Of course. So this is the first few sentences of a piece that's about four paragraphs long, but the piece that is chosen is begins with, Once I met a man I could love, and in his mouth my name dissolved, pronounced how my mother whispered it when I was a girl, feverish and falling into fitful sleep. To hear it was like tuning through radio static until suddenly song. Oh, that's beautiful. That, that's you. really beautiful. Tell us a bit more about this uh, text in particular. So the text that I wrote, the whole text can be found on, on Valentino's website, but the, the text that I wrote, it's about a character who's afraid to fall in love. And like the first few, the first half of it, she spends thinking like, I'm nobody's girl, you know, and the kind of the kind of like defense that you build when you're like afraid to be vulnerable and afraid to put yourself out there. And as the text continues on, it's about her kind of realizing you know because in this moment like she meets somebody that she thinks she could love but then like flinches moves away from it and it's about her trying to figure out like why she did that and that takes the journey of the text takes her to like moments from her childhood and how her mother had loved her or hadn't loved her and um, once she kind of figures that out in her mind she's able to claim the feeling of actually that was love and that was desire and goes to pursue it. It is kind of scary to fall in love, to be honest. Actually. Yeah. So it is—it's quite relatable in it's, a way. It's—it's one of the most like frightening things, and like the most amazing thing that can happen to you. You know, that's why all the stories are about love. All of the—I feel like love is such a great topic to assign for writers because, in my mind, it's like the engine of all things. You know, the minute the character falls in love, suddenly we're all like ready. You know, ready to keep watching, keep listening. Do you think, uh, you know, let's say a Valentino customer would relate to those texts? Because I, I, I had a look, apparently, there's been some kind of partnership with a few bookstores around the world where yes. some of the texts have been, which looks quite nice. And I think, again, a bookstore is the perfect place yeah. to have something like this. Yeah, visually, it's so stunning to mm -hmm. see all the posters. I love it. And last year, they had made similar kind of really visually stunning posters around New York City and stuff. But I think absolutely anyone could relate to this topic, right? That's the that's the amazing thing about writing that like continue or storytelling in general that continues to always stun me is how it can be such a different world, such a different character experience, you know, but when they are speaking from the heart, it's like all the same. It's like one universal language and so you can you immediately relate to it. That's fantastic. Uh, and, and Fatma, tell us uh, a bit more about you as a writer. I know you wrote A Place for Us, which has been, you know, an incredible book. I mean, it's been on the best New York Times bestseller list as well. Do you have any new projects coming up or anything that you can review if you can't? No yeah. problem. So I won't fully reveal the new novel. It's still at that stage where, do you know when it's like clay, where you're mm. still molding it so you don't know exactly how it's going to end up forming um clay is just the first thing that came to my mind because i actually took a clay class this weekend and it was really fun okay. um but it's kind of at that moldable stage but yes i wrote a novel a few years ago since then it's been really fun to work on some essays and i've just started working on adapting my novel to the screen so i'm going to try screenwriting and figure that out which will be really exciting and i am working on another novel but i won't say too much about it yet But I th it's going to be very different. It's going to be very different from A Place for Us, which is such a kind of like family novel. This one is much more about 
it feels more fresh and fun and edgy. And actually, you know, so this year working on the Valentino piece and last year working on the Valentino piece, I had this kind of constraint of like, you know, um, one page or a few paragraphs to tell the story. And I wanted to write it like a mini novel. And so every single sentence had to have so much like careful care, you know, like so much weight and meaning because you have so few sentences to work with. And I, I love doing it. It really changed the way that I wrote writing those two pieces and it kind of unlocked a new voice a voice that was a little bit more I don't know like edgier than what I had previously written through which was so fun for me and so I think you know that's definitely influenced the way that I'm going to continue to keep writing it's interesting you mentioned mini novel because I think that's why works like this uh Valentino the narratives are so impactful because they are short, but sometimes I think for a writer it's quite hard actually to do something mm. short. I feel the same as a journalist when I have to write something just 200 words or something. Yeah. It's, it's actually very hard to condense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for a writer, perhaps even harder because you're talking about feelings as well. Yeah, absolutely. I always think of how much poets have to do mm. with so little and how they like say as much as a novel, but they have to just condense it. Thank you very much, Fatma, and her contributions to the project and the other 16 writers' texts can be found on valentino.com. Now on the stack, we head to the British Library for a new exhibition looking at 500 years of news in the UK. From Jack the Ripper to the war in Syria, it's all covered. The exhibition looks at the power of the media industry and the journalists behind it. From influencing elections to turning ordinary people into overnight sensations. I spoke on site with the curator of Breaking the News, Luke McKernan, who gave me a lovely tour. This is an exhibition on 500 years of news in Britain. What has been news to the British? Because it varies quite a lot as what's important to uh, news and so forth. It is meant to reflect the world of news today, of course, because it's such an exciting period when news is being argued over, contested, but still followed avidly and across so many different forms. That's what we wanted to, to reflect, partly because it's also a reflection of our collection. We have a larger newspaper collection, but we need to move into all other news media to properly represent the news. So the exhibition is partly an advertisement for news itself, I guess. So as part of that theme, we wanted to show stories or ideas that have remained roughly consistent throughout those 500 years, with variations along the way, but essentially what has always drawn us to the news. So there's quite a lot of the older stories here, quite familiar because they're the echoes we, we, we recognise now. So that, that, was, that, was, um, that was broadly it. And the other thing is that we wanted it not just to be newspapers and to reflect all the ways in which news has come to us in the past. So it's not just newspapers, it's ballads, broadsides, news sheets, cinema, newsreels, radio, television, right up to the world of social media and the web. It is interesting about the themes. I mean, you're, you're there behind you, there's the word scandal. That's something that didn't change in a way, right? We're still attracted to that. So maybe the way we consume news change, but not the themes in a way, almost. I think absolutely so. You read a, a news publication from four or five hundred years ago and you recognize the same common things because we're interested. We're interested in what's going to affect us, who to, to, to you know, we're interested in, in the great being brought low. We're interested in what that which is uh, frightening 
scared what's going to threaten to us. Even more interested if it's not a threat to us, but it's a threat to somebody else and we can watch uh, or uh, read about it vicariously. So the exhibition itself is divided into different sections. Sections more or less based around questions. Not an exhibition about preaching to people about what news is or should be. It is about encouraging people to think, why is this news? Why is something else not news? What's consistent? What's the roots of all this? So we base the exhibition around questions. And the first of those questions is, what sort of event makes news? And scandal, of course, makes it of course. <laughs> always works. We have quite a lot, a lot of big scandals here, right? <laughs> well, yeah, we have many scandals yes, going, well. <laughs> going back through, uh, through the years. I mean, the, the one we have here is uh, perhaps the almost the dictionary definition of scandal, which is the Profumo scandal from the early 1960s, uh, when the then defence minister was having an affair with, with uh, Christine Keeler and lied about it to Parliament. And that was, that was, the, that was the crime. And, and so, so it's, uh, the, the headline there in the Daily Express, Profumo quits, I lied. This was an age when ministers didn't lie. Uh, so it's so, a <laughs> huge shock. Virtually, the, the government was not quite brought down by this, but it, it fatally weakened, uh, weakened it. And it's a turning point, apart from anything else in society, when, frankly, an older generation was tripped up uh, by the new world emerging. I was going to say, I mean, there's a lot of kind of historical, you know, very kind of old front pages. Was it all kind of from the British Library or did you have to source from other places? I know the British yeah. Library has an amazing archive. Well, well, the British Library has more or less every newspaper that's mm. ever been published in, in this country. Some gaps for the first 200 years, but pretty comprehensive there, thereafter. So it's an exhibition where not much was loaned. Most exhibitions will have major loans. And so, we, yes, we brought in some, but not... The newspapers, we had those already. I think there was one, there's one instance where we had, we, our copy wasn't in the best condition. It's one of the issues about the newspapers, anyone who comes to see the exhibition. See, the newspapers are not in the best of condition, that's because mm. they're printed on something called newsprint, mm. which uh, wasn't designed to last for hundreds of years, it was designed to last for a day before you replace the next one, and it crumbles in front of your eyes. I'm looking at another more recent scandal. Actually, I think I was leaving the UK already. I heard a lot about this. Thousand pounds, six six hundred thousand duck houses, well pounds. Yes, well, this is this is the probably most celebrated scandal story of, of recent years. This is the parliamentary expenses uh, scandal, which was an exclusive of the Daily Telegraph, and the one everyone remembers about this is that one MP uh, claimed expenses for purchasing a duck house. So there we do actually have two MPs and a duck on this magnificent front page. That's to, a great, to, that's to, a great to, front page. To tell the story. So yes, it, it, was, it was an obvious, uh, obvious choice. It's interesting, the background history to it, because there's the balance between those different pillars of, of society, government and newspapers, warring with one another. Well, let's walk around a little bit. I think we're going at a conflict, which is it's something that we are covering today with, yeah, with Ukraine and Russia. This is another... Absolutely. Kind of absolutely. So we're still in the events section here. So we've tried to reflect different ways in which conflict, which has always been of interest with primarily at fear, but also a bit of thrill to it. It's, it's, as long as it's happening to somebody else, it's fascinating to, to follow. So we have here a comparison between different ways in which the Syrian war was re reported, from the emotive single-person account of the journalist there. Then we have Murray Colvin, who tragically was killed the day after this report for, from uh, Homs. Next door to it, so the was cold, rather analytical uh, approach by the online journalism collective Bellingcat, which is full of aerial views of buildings to try and try and work out which side uh, during, in the early years of the, the war could be believed. Wow. 
And again, that just shows that this exhibition, I mean, some people might think it's just front pages, but definitely not. There's, uh, lots, uh, there's lots of audio, there's lots of... Uh, Indeed, we, 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 uh, there is a lot of video material running here. We do want to sort of flex the world of news as people understand it. But there's something astonishing about looking at print. So here we have wow. the oldest newspaper in this country wow. uh, from 24th of September 1621. The Courant, or News from Italy, Germany, Hungary, Spain and France which tells you a lot by its title, that in 1621 it was very dangerous to publish British news in Britain. It was illegal. So the first newspaper tells you nothing but European news. Oh. And it's reporting on the Thirty Years' War, which is why we put it in under conflict. And next door, it's not a newspaper, but it's much earlier. In an earlier form, it's a news pamphlet. This is a report on the Battle of Flodden, a battle fought between the English and Scottish armies in 1513. And this is the earliest printed news publication that we have. It's only a few years after the printing press first came to this country. And it's got a headline, it's got an illustration, and it tells you the story. It's, that, that, that's, uh, it's, it's a classic piece of, of, of news. I mean, can't just, believe just the happens to be 500 yeah. years old. And we're talking here about the news of the UK, even me coming from Brazil. I mean, the UK has such a kind of a long history when it comes to the printed press, in a way, compared to other countries, I would say. There is something about this kind of, and it's interesting to analyse because different countries have different news structures, but there, are, there have always been an extraordinary number of newspapers, and there still are about 1,100 newspaper titles published in this country every week. It's something to do with the size of the island, the networks, uh, or maybe just a national obsession with, with finding out what your neighbours are doing. <laughs> something, something about it has uh, re really made news publications fundamental to a uh, British view of life. Let's go for a nice, nice walk. I mean, yeah. there's so many things. We're yeah, just well, past, we past celebrity disaster. disaster. <laughs> Why not celebration, right? Celebration. This is one of my favourite sections. Yes. This is where we did. Yeah. It's quite easy to have an exhibition which focuses on nothing but the downside, and yes. that's not the case. And I think newspapers and news publishers love it when they can, uh, when they are uh, can celebrate with their audience. And news is all about trying to hold on to an audience, and it's sort of one of the underlying themes that I did, that don't lose your audience or you've got no news, and, and different audiences lead to different kinds of news. So we have over here, uh, in celebration, we have national, well, regional, national and global. So the regional is a report on 19th century black boxes in Britain, <coughs> and a particular man called Bob Travers, who's in this marvellous display of, of uh, what's called the great pugilists of England, pugilists being a big boxer, and to see a black-faced mirror there in 1860s, you start to see a, a change in society. You don't see it in major newspapers, but there in the sporting press, he's one of us because he wins. That's it doesn't mean anything. And, and, and that's from 1863. That's, from, that's from 1863. Wow. Next door, we've got the Paralympic Games. Mm -hmm. And we've got some, oh, good, how tall that is, must be about 15 feet, uh, <laughs> three metres high at least, uh, display recreating the Mail Online. For a while, the most popular news publication Quite anywhere in the world. Quite I have to say. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> Which has this very distinctive long strip mm -hmm. of it. So we've... I've got a reproduction of all the images that they had to, to celebrate the Paralympic Games of, of 2012, which uh, I just think is a magnificent display. And then we have photographs of people watching the moon landing in 1969, a, one of those rare occasions when the news story is everybody's news story. So it's just, just people gathered around television sets 
obviously at different times. So there's a photograph of, huge photograph of the people watching in Central Park in New York because the moon landed happened very conveniently in the US prime time. Of course. <laughs> of That's course. the way to organise yeah. it. <laughs> And here we're going to, is this, that this is the second part of the so, exhibition, right? So that was right? the first section. Then we yes. were into what does a free press mm-hmm. mean? It's hugely valued in, in it that this country has, mm-hmm. you know, that the press is not restricted in any way so long as it stays within the law of the land. But there are so many points where you think, you know, where's, where's the crossing point? Does the media get too powerful? Does it, uh, if information is leaked that shouldn't be leaked, is that, that just how all these, these, these parts, where there's no absolutes, yeah. because often the, the story itself then becomes a justification, but it's, it's, it's that, uh, that's tension. We just want sort of people to think about, you know, what should and shouldn't be done. So, for example, in this central section, we've got an extraordinary display of what happens when the news is not regulated at all, when nobody's controlling it. And we have on one side, from the Civil Wars, the mid-17th century, which is a great period for the flourishing of newspapers because nobody could, could license any of them. So all sorts of slander, attacks... and, and Execution. Whatever. Execution, but, but thrilling. And then next door to it, Brexit. So we have, it is exactly the, the, the same bit. Obviously, we have a regulated press, but so much happened online, which either reused some of those images or satirised it or people told their own story. So it's the public grabbing. You might not necessarily agree with what was being said, but it just showed that that point where people take the news into their own hands mm. and that's another theme of the exhibition who owns the news and is it changing at, at this point I don't know, in a way it's too early to tell but, mm. but the world of social media has given us new powers, new responsibilities and started to shake the traditional idea of news at the foundations and behind as well here's one of my favourite British magazines Private Eye, I mean Private, they are so iconic as well yeah. and you chose a great cover to feature we, we, an exhibition yeah, so this is a section on satire, yeah. a central part of the news but it's mm. undermining it at the same, and often mm. says that which everyone is thinking mm. um, so we do have Private Eye founded in the early, early 60s and this uh, cover is the uh, Hope and Grope cover, quite sober compared to the average mm. Private Eye, uh, so this is when uh, Donald Trump replaced Barack Obama as, as president and it's reusing the celebrated Shepherd Fairy poster of Barack Obama from 08 and replacing it with Trump. And it's incredible to see something like Private Eye still doing amazingly well. Still, so, still doing very well. It, it's all part of this, what's called the satire boom mm-hmm. of the early 60s, which is not unconnected with the scandal that we were looking at there. You can always believe what you, what you were being the, the age of deference goes and mm. private eye capitalised on that of course it's, it's still still flourishing Fantastic. we have its editor Ian Hislop is featured in the Have I Got News For You mm. clip that we have over, uh, over there but we have older satire as well that we have the Plum Pudding in Danger famous uh, illustration by Gilray and then Steve Bell cartoons from, from the, the Guardian who uses Great, the same yeah. shows how the satirists like to copy uh, mm. to copy one another the next section is on ethics, yes, which is the, the really sort of the challenging which way round, which should, should. So we've approached this uh, around sharing of data, about journalists going too far, and about images. Now, essentially around what does the public need to know. We have a computer, or the bits of a computer, that was held by the Guardian newspaper, which held the data of the, the American whistleblower, Edward Snowden. Much effort from uh, authorities to prevent this data from being leaked. 
but in a digital age, it's very difficult to do because it goes on to the next thing. So in a slightly futile gesture, the GCHQ instructed the Guardian to destroy the computers, stood over them while they got out the hammers and the editors broke up the, the computers, which was then lovingly stored by uh, the newspaper's archive. The data, of course, is already out there. But we've arranged all the pieces of this smashed computer over this large glass uh, square, which is quite a very clever way of, do, of doing it, that. It, it's it, it, I'm it, it quite pleased how, that, how, how that's come across. It's quite, it is a, gives us a little variety from, from seeing traditional news uh, for publications to just seeing very damaged computers. <laughs> we then have a section on image. These are, in each case, where an editor has looked at something and said, should this be published or not? But the act of publishing has then changed people's view. So we have here the dreadful image, a dreadful sad image of the Syrian uh, refugee boy, Alan Kurdi, who was uh, found dead on the shore of Turkey. The photograph was offered to many newspapers, all turned it down. Independent chose to publish it, and it's that image more than anything else that changed people's view yeah. in this country about you know, something must be done. Thank you very much, Luke. And the London exhibition runs until August, with pop-ups at more than 30 libraries across the United Kingdom. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks, as ever, to our editor Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And you can always subscribe to the show on monaco.com, Apple's podcasts, and Spotify. And before we go, a little song for you. Britney Spears, Peace of Me. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. I'm Scene, no snake away to the Philippines. They still gon' put pictures in my.